A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Then you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23 and of course Johnny goes nuts. So I'll get first time thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, you made the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time and I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 10. Thanks for joining me. Go to inallairness.com for show notes and plenty more features. The social hub for the podcast is facebook.com slash inallairness. If you haven't already, please like the page and join the growing community of fans. Add the podcast to your RSS feed or iTunes so you never miss another show. It's also available on Stitcher, Blackberry, Player FM, TuneIn Radio and numerous other podcatchers. I love hearing from listeners. On either site, you can send voicemail, comments or questions. With your permission, I'd love to include your feedback on future episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at InAllAirness. I'm joined today by a mate of mine from Twitter, Aaron Steen. Steeny, how are you going? Hi, Adam. Looking forward to uh, speaking about one of the uh, great years in the NBA in the 90s, mate. Yeah, exactly right. We're going to be talking today about the 1993 NBA season in particular. Just before we get into things, Stanley, do you want to tell us about your background in basketball and how you first became involved with the game and starting to follow the NBA? I've been an NBA fan now for about 24 years. The other first season that I got into the NBA was the 89-90 season. The first game that I can recall seeing was the 1990 All-Star game in Miami. And my older brother got me into it in high school. And just as all younger brothers do, you, know, you want to be like your older brother. So I started following what he was doing. And then, yeah, it's just uh, snowballed out of control uh, ever since, really. The amount of exposure that we have to the game now in 2013 is just uh, a dream come true for a fan like me with League Pass and Twitter and all that. Definitely a very enjoyable time to be an NBA fan. Definitely is. And also you and Adam House are also co-owners of the Johnny Red Kerr Facebook fan page. Yeah. Adam House, he started up that page back in, in 2009 and then asked me to come in and with some content on it. We have in uh, quotation marks the official Johnny Red Curb page, which is a, a tribute to the great man, the, the first coach of the Bulls and longtime broadcaster. An outlet for Adam and I to communicate with Bulls fans in particular and Johnny Kerr fans all over the world. The main age group that follow our pages in, in between 18 and 24. Johnny passed away in 09, so a lot of these people might not be fully aware of who who Johnny Kerr was, so we like to use the page as an opportunity to educate them. Plus also you have people who followed the Bulls and, and, and Johnny Kerr for 
decades and it's a way for us to to show our appreciation of the man who did so much for the Bulls. He did indeed. He did a great deal for them. As you said, he was the first head coach of the Bulls and obviously commentated the team for many, many years and it was just a, it was a mainstay with the team. So it's great that you've got a, a tribute to him through that page and over 4,000 likes on your page and there's quite a bit of back and forward between the fans and yourselves as well. So there's some good communication going on. Originally was a hobby for us. Is actually has actually turned into a bit of a, a labour of love. Like we really, really enjoy getting on there and contributing and doing a little bit towards exposure for the Bulls. So today we're talking about the 1993 NBA season. 20 years ago this year, the Phoenix Suns led the league with a 62-20 and 20 record. Uh, they were also the highest scoring team in the league as well, just averaging a bit over 113 points a game, which is incredible effort when you think about it looking back now compared to what today's scoring lines are like. So at the opposite end, though, unfortunately, the Dallas Mavericks finished that same season with an 11-71 and 71 record. They uh, had some very tough times in that season as well. Our Bulls... 57 and 25, so that was good for second best in the East. We were also, we, I'm saying we like we actually played with the team. We, the Bulls were also just held opponents just under 99 points a game, so that was second in the league behind the New York Knicks, who are obviously renowned for their defense back at that stage too. So some pretty impressive numbers there, except for the Dallas record, of course. Yeah, the Bulls had a great regular season with the other 57 wins, but I guess if you compare it to the season beforehand, it was a 10-game drop-off. So you had the two darling teams of the other regular season, the other Knicks, who were the other best defensive team in the league, and then the other Phoenix Suns, who were the darling team of that season with the uh, new lineup and Charles Barkley coming across from the 76ers. Yeah, the Bulls, they came in as, as uh, defending champions, but they definitely had a bit of a drop-off during... That regular season. Yeah, they did. That's that's for sure. We'll just recap some of the award winners from that 93 season. The MVP award went to Charles Barkley in his first season there with Phoenix. He averaged 26 points, 12 boards and 5 assists a game. So he put up some very solid numbers in his first season in the Western Conference. MJ also put up some very great numbers. 33 points, 7 boards, 5 assists and 3 steals. So he had a an absolutely fantastic season, and some people think he may have been gypped for the award, but Barkley certainly earned it coming across from the Philly team. He was trying to get them into the finals, but couldn't really get them past the first or second round with the 76ers, so he led this, the Phoenix team to their great record that season and earned himself some MVP honours. Definitely Charles and the impact that he had on Phoenix and the other way that the Phoenix played in, in the regular season, winning 62 games, definitely uh, contributed to his MVP that year. But Hakeem actually had two Player of the Month awards during that 92-93 season. He was the only player to get two during that year. So everyone talks about Charles and his MVP. And MVP that MJ maybe should have gotten. Hakeem also had a, a very good year that year. And Akeem and his Rockets teams were building to becoming the back-to-back world champions that they would be in 94 and 95. So he was a fantastic player, obviously Hall of Famer, put up some monumental numbers in some games and was just an incredible offensive and defensive player. So very true. The Rookie of the Year for 93 was none other than Shaquille O'Neal. In his first season in the NBA, coming out of LSU, he had 23 points, 14 boards, and three blocks a game. So some massive numbers there from a very young Shaquille O'Neal. What do you recall from Shaq's early days with the Magic there, Steny? Even here in Australia, the amount of hype on Shaq before 
he hit the NBA was was pretty huge because we were getting the uh, the college games over here as well and saw uh, himself and uh, Christian Leitner in action on uh, on TV over here. So yeah, he was hyped through the roof before he hit the NBA. But I think that his numbers and his impact on the NBA started immediately. So he was definitely a very worthy winner. And it had a fairly immediate impact on the Magic franchise as well, yep. turning them around quite quickly. Now, the Defensive Player of the Year, and um, we talked about him briefly a moment ago, Hakeem Olajuwon. He averaged, along with the defensive side of things, he averaged 26 points and 13 boards a game. Also had three assists and two steals, along with four blocks per contest. So those are some just otherworldly numbers. And he was obviously a candidate too for a MVP-type season. Yeah, unquestionably one of the most underrated, I think, as much as Kim Elijah one can be underrated. Like the year that he had that year, you know, he was in the middle of his prime. You look at the uh, rest of the all defensive teams for that year, you know, I was very happy that year. We had three Bulls in the two teams. There was a couple of Pistons as well. So it was, um, Hakeem was an, an incredible player, was so nimble for a guy 6'10", and was well deserving of that Defensive Player of the Year award. He certainly was. The Most Improved Player award went to Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, formerly Chris Jackson, out of Louisiana State University as well, so played on the same college team as Shaquille O'Neal. Now, he averaged 19 points, three boards, and four assists a game, and it was a notable improvement from 1992 in which he averaged just 10 points a game. So he became a much more vital cog in that Denver Nuggets team, and they were just building themselves up to being a very competitive playoff team as well. So that was a good award for him to win at that stage. Yeah, also became a uh, very good clutch player for the, uh, the Nuggets that year as well. He had some fantastic games. His moves were lightning quick. And I think, speaking of underrated players, there's not too many more that I could think of off the top of my head that would be as underrated as Chris Jackson or Mahmoud Abdurraouf. I'm probably going to pronounce his name seven different ways between the time I finished talking today. But he was a sensational player and had a whole bundle of tricks in his uh, in his bag. That 93 season, I think he was, he was also on the cusp of the All-Star team that year as well. So, yeah, had a, had a great year, as you said before, so quick. And the Sixth Man of the Year award went to Cliff Robinson, who I'm pleased to say was a guest on the podcast, episode number six. I have chatted with Cliff, talked about his Sixth Man of the Year award and many other things. So if you haven't already heard that one, do ask you to go back and look through the archives. I had a great discussion with Cliff Robinson. He had 19 points, seven boards, two assists, and also two blocks playing all 82 games, and he started 12 games, so he was obviously eligible for Sixth Man of the Year honours. Great season for Cliffy too. Yeah, he was helped by the fact that, A, he played in all 82 games, and the, yeah, the Blazers had a few injury issues that year as well. Clyde Drexler and Jerome Kersey, off the top of my head, were two guys that missed uh, a number of games uh, during that year, so his opportunity was there and yeah, had a great year. Improved his range a lot on his shot. That's right. He definitely started to dial in from long range. And I also chatted to him about that, how it developed his game. It certainly made him even tougher to defend. His defender would have to go 22 feet out to actually try and match up with him as well. So it made him very tough. And he was very quick off the dribble as well. So when he did have the ball and try and handle the rock, he was very capable at doing that as well. He had the speed advantage on a lot of fours that he played on that year as well. So yeah, if he didn't have the other three there to shoot, it often take him off the dribble. Well, look, the All-NBA first team that season, it featured Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, 
Kim Elijahwan and Mark Price. Now, when I look back over the stats here at basketballreference.com, which is, and I do give it continual plugs because it is an amazing website, Mark Price was the other All-NBA first team with 18 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds and 1 steal a game. So those are some great numbers and Mark Price had a fantastic career, mostly known for his days in Cleveland. But boy, he had a, a great season that year culminating with this first team selection. Yeah, every time that you hear NBA players speak about Mark Price and those years that he was in his prime, yeah, he was an, an incredible player. He played a majority of his career with Cleveland and then he headed over to Washington very briefly. He played only seven games with the Bullets before finishing up with Golden State and also a stint in Orlando as well, retiring at the end of the 98 season. The next thing we'll talk about, the all-rookie first team as well for 1993. It featured... Obviously, Shaquille O'Neal and Alonzo Mourning. Christian Leitner, another person I was very lucky to have chatted to on this podcast in previous episodes, so another one to look back on and have a listen to. He was a great guest to have on the show. Tom Gugliotta and Lafonso Ellis, they rounded out the top five in the all-rookie first team. What are your thoughts on some of those players there, Stanny? Outside of Shaq and Zoe, who obviously Hall of Fame type careers, the other guy I think who had the next best career, he had his uh, issues at times, was uh, Latrell Sprewell, who was a, a mid-first-round pick in that, uh, in that draft class. You go through that draft class and it was uh, pretty loaded. It was. Do you remember those ads back on TV at the time? I think it was for Converse, speaking of Latrell Sprewell, where he was dubbed the landlord. The landlord, yep. Time to pay the rent. Yeah, great ads. He's a, he was a hell of a player. Yeah, those ads, I think he was laying back, hands on top of his head in the deck chair and just showed the map, the map of the USA and would, he'd be going around all different cities collecting rent off people. It was uh, quite quite a clever ad back in the day and I can still remember it to this day, so it obviously had some impact. Now, owns it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> owns it, that's right. It's time to pay the rent. There was some notable retirees as well at the end of that 93 season, probably the best of the lot would be Bernard King, who had a career average of 22 points, six boards and three assists, almost 20,000 points scored in his NBA career, and yet it was a career that was injury-plagued for the majority. Just imagine what he could have achieved and where he'd sit all time had he not been troubled by so many injuries. Yeah, he's one of those guys that when the top 50 came out... He was one of those guys just outside of that list to make that, uh, you know, to give that distinction as, you know, one of the 50 greatest players of all time, just an offensive machine. And some of his games that he had in the early 80s uh, before he got seriously hurt, you know, an amazing offensive player. He was, and uh, I can still hear Marv Albert doing the, here's King, hitting baseline jumpers and whatnot as well from many of the NBA highlight reels. Perhaps a player that I should have mentioned possibly ahead of Bernard King, uh, a, a Hall of Famer, Kevin McHale. He finished his career in 93, 18 points and seven boards a game for his career averages and obviously was part of the big three throughout the 80s with the Celtics. So he finished up his career in 1993 also. Yeah, and also it was the other... 92-93 season was the other first NBA season devoid of Larry Bird and the Magic Man both at the same time. So I think it definitely gave it a different feel that season. Two very tragic deaths following late in the NBA season was one, Drazen Petrovic in June 93, just prior to Game 1 of the NBA Finals, tragically killed in a car accident. He was averaging 15 points a game for his NBA career, obviously was a, a superstar in Europe, came over to the NBA and was just starting to establish himself as a standout player 
with the New Jersey Nets, a really tragic loss. And also, one month later, Reggie Lewis, who was only 27 years old and had been captain of the Celtics, 18 points a game, four boards and three assists, was just starting to bring in the post-Larry Bird era and was a fantastic player, and he died of heart-related issues in July 93. So two terrible losses for the NBA in the space of about two months. Two huge losses. Dryson actually made uh, All-NBA third team on that 92-93 season, and after a couple of rough years in Portland when he first came over from Europe to play in the NBA, he was his confidence in, in his own game was sky high and one of the great sharpshooters, long-range marksmen in NBA history. And Reggie Lewis was the man on the Celtics that year. They still like Kevin McHale and Parrish, but I think with uh, you know, their advancing age, Larry Bird gone as well. He made the All-Star team. 1992, uh, yeah, so he was a huge loss not only for the NBA but for the other Celtics franchise as a whole who really struggled for a large portion of the uh, 1990s. Indeed, and also the Celtics were tragically dealt another terrible hand when Len Bias died prior to even playing in the NBA following his draft in 1986. Yeah, the Celtics franchise were really dealt a harsh hand there, and just some tragic losses just for people in general. But obviously, it did cripple their franchise as well for quite some time, as you mentioned. Couple of quick random stats for no apparent reason whatsoever: the 1993 season, Bo Kimball, Elmore Spencer, and Henry James were the only three players in the NBA to have their own jersey numbers. Nobody else had the number 16 for Bo Kimball. Elmore Spencer had number 27 with the Clippers, and Henry James had number 51 for the Sacramento Kings. A couple of stats here I wanted to throw in for, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, nice. Also, uh, Dennis Rodman, a year, led the NBA in rebounding with 18.3 a game, which is a you know, phenomenal number. You, uh, you also had um, two milestones for two of the greatest scorers in league history in Jordan and Dominique, both eclipsed the 20,000-point mark. During that season, you also had on Dominique, uh, the NBA comeback player of the year after rupturing his Achilles tendon at the age of 32. I don't think that the expectations were that high of him, but he made all second team all NBA and he came second to Jordan in the scoring title uh, at 29.9. So any, uh, any issues that anyone saw with his coming back, uh, yeah, he uh, had a great year. He quickly extinguished any doubts there, that's for sure. Great effort from the human highlight film. It looked like his career may have been over at that stage, but he fought back valiantly and obviously showed that he was more than capable of lighting up scoreboards again. As you said, you have a uh, pretty vivid memory of when that happened. He was being guarded by Kenny Payne, of all people, in that game against the 76ers. So there's a name that you wouldn't hear too often in the NBA these days. Definitely, and also, unfortunately, of all the players you could be playing against to do such an injury, someone with the surname of Payne. Not cool. That's just adding insult to injury. Yeah. Now, a couple of nicknames I just want to quickly talk about for a moment. I did throw it out there on Twitter. The response was mixed, but I wanted to see if we had any suggestions for some fake nicknames of players that never really got off the ground. And a couple of quick suggestions. I had one from Steve, who goes under the Twitter handle of Crazed fan, crazed underscore fan. He suggested that Gerald Wilkins should have been nicknamed the tourist because no one had ever bought more fakes 
and then he had the hashtag not the Jordan stopper. So that was quite impressive. <laughs> Another one that I had was from a guy named Pete French, Texas Pete, 33. His suggestion was Irvin, not Magic Johnson, because he's referring to the other Irvin Johnson who had just entered the league around that time, who ended up playing with the Seattle Supersonics. Do you remember the other Irvin Johnson? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think he got drafted by Seattle or Milwaukee in 1994. I'm just having a look now on basketball reference, just to be sure. That's what does it say about the great man? Yeah, he's drafted by Seattle Supersonics. First round, pick number 23 overall in the 93 draft. 93 draft. Yeah, and he was picked by Seattle, and then he was let go after the 1996 season, in which they would have played the Bulls in those NBA finals. I actually remember watching stories about him on maybe inside stuff or NBA action where he used to work in a grocery store just bagging up people's groceries for some time as well. Yeah, well, a lot of how his career went, he probably should have stayed there. (laughs) Oh, that's harsh. But a fair call, nonetheless. Just one more nickname I wanted to make mention of. We obviously know that Stacey Orgman back in the days in 1993 was referred to as a plastic man. Briefly, he went to go with the other nickname. didn't quite take off. It was the made of manufactured treated compounds man. Just didn't quite have the same catch to it, unfortunately. So, he oh my re- god, he reverted back to Plastic Man quite quickly. Just didn't roll off the tongue as well as they'd hoped. So that's fair enough. Was that one of yours, or was that one of the ones off Twitter? No, that sadly is one of mine. That's the whole reason I wanted to bring up the segment just to try that joke, and it could be the first and last time that segment actually appears on one of these podcasts. We'll see how it goes. I think that's better for everyone. If yeah, you don't ever say that ever again. <laughs> At least I got it out there, so we'll see. Now, let's talk about the NBA playoffs going back to 92-93 season. We'll mainly just focus on the Bulls here because we don't want to go for too long with the length of the episode. The the Bulls' first round, they played the Atlanta Hawks, had a three-game sweep. None of the games were overly close. I think the closest margin was probably a 10-point game in in the third game of the series back in Atlanta. Do you have any recollections from that first three-game sweep series? Yeah, as a uh, as a long time Dominique fan, yeah, I've uh, watched all those games repeatedly. That third game, yeah, was the only close game out of the other series. It was that game where where Jordan went over on his ankle and it had to be carried off the court. And then uh, he mentioned something later on about how he heard something pop, but it was just the other tape that he had uh, on his ankles that, that snapped or something. I think so. Yeah, it gave the Bulls a bit of a scare in that game three. They advanced in three games over the Atlanta Hawks and, and Dominique Wilkins. They headed into the second round up against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who were then equipped with the alleged Jordan stopper in Gerald Wilkins, who we, who we mentioned a moment ago. But it was a four-game sweep, which was also punctuated by MJ's The Shot 2 at Cleveland in Game 4 to wrap up the series, and the Bulls would win that 103-101. to What recollections do you have about that particular series, Mike? Yeah, Cavs were clear underdogs, whereas the year before they actually played the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. So a bit different though in 93. Whoever mentioned the word Jordan Stopper threw Gerald Wilkins under the bus, something shocking, because <laughs> you just know that as soon as Michael heard the words Jordan Stopper, that all pun intended, it'd be like a red rag to a bull, mate. He would have made it his mission in that series to you know completely dominate him, and that's exactly what he did. He did indeed, and dispose of the Cavs in four games, and that set up the Eastern Conference Finals with the matchup that most people wanted to see. It was the Bulls versus the Knicks, 
It was a six-game series, but the Bulls got off to a, a very shaky start, dropping the first two games at New York before heading back to Chicago. And Jordan had a couple of outstanding scoring games in that series. But for mine, the, the, the greatest game of the series would be game five. The Bulls would win at 97-94. But it was punctuated by the defensive play at the end by the Bulls and particularly Scottie Pippen on stopping Charles Smith in those final 10 seconds or so, which was some of the most fantastic moments I've ever seen as team defence. Yeah, really a great series. Yeah, the Knicks kind of jumped all over the Bulls in those first two games in New York. Uh, then games three and four were, were back in Chicago. And you know, haven't seen those games, just the, the temper of the game completely changed. And the, the Bulls came out and they... That first game back in Chicago, after losing the first two, they were energetic and they were hungry for that win. So it was, um, yeah, the Knicks, the way they played in those first two games, that was where it stopped. Yeah, and in game three, Jordan struggled from the field mightily. He was three of 18 from the field for 22 points, but he made 16 of 17 free throws and they won comfortably in the end, 103 to 83. And that set the tone for them to then win the next three games following and wrapped it up at home back in game six. So it was a, a great series in the end, and that then got them onto the NBA final stage against the Phoenix Suns, who got their way through the playoffs after initially almost stumbling in the first round against the LA Lakers. That was a fantastic series, that Suns-Lakers back in round one. Do you have some fond memories of that? Yeah, the the, yeah, the fond memories that I have of that is is Magic Johnson uh, as when he was commentating with NBC. He's just blatant bias towards the Lakers while he was commentating those games. It was quite humorous. Almost Tom Heinsohn type level? Uh, nah, okay, now that's just you know going way too far. <laughs> now we'll get to the NBA Finals before we wrap things up. The Bulls would face Phoenix. Phoenix had the home court advantage by having the best home record during the regular season. And the first two games in Phoenix, the Bulls stunned the Suns with two straight wins, punctuated by Jordan's incredible performances across the series really his his average for the series was otherworldly so the Bulls got up to a great start by winning the first two in Phoenix what what do you uh, recall of those times the uh, the Bulls uh, as the defending champions to come off that tough series with the Knicks didn't have the fanfare that the other Suns uh, had making their first NBA finals and kind of came across like the uh yeah, the Suns were a bit nervous, obviously, because the first NBA final series, and I think that they realised that it was a completely different kettle of fish to the other uh, regular season. Lost those first two games at home. Game one, the Bulls had an eight point win. It was one hundred to ninety two, and then game two was a bit tighter, one hundred eleven to one hundred eight. So Phoenix put up a good fight, but Jordan and the Bulls just still too tough, which. Sets it up nicely for Game 3, heading back to Chicago Stadium. One of the great finals games of all time. Game 3, that triple overtime affair. And unfortunately, in that last stanza, a late turnover by Stacey King when Charles Barkley suckered him into passing back under the basket, led to a turnover, and that pretty much sealed the game after an incredible 63-minute marathon. In Game 3, Phoenix needed to make some adjustments after the way that they played in Games 1 and 2, uh, and they definitely made them. They looked like that team that won 62 games during the uh, the regular season. And I think that the main thing that hurt the Bulls in this game was that they had a bit of trouble executing down the stretch, in particular in the three overtime periods. So not taking anything away from Phoenix, though, it was a, uh, a monumental win in one of the greatest NBA Finals games ever. And KJ, Kevin Johnson, played all but one minute of those entire four quarters and three overtime sessions. He ended up with 25 points, seven boards and nine assists 
well assisted by Dan Marley, who had 28 points himself, including 6 of 8 from downtown. So we know that Thunder Dan could stroke the three-point shot like not many others in the league at that time. Jordan had an incredible stat line as well. 44 points, 9 boards, 6 assists and a couple of steals. He ably put up a great fight, but it wasn't quite enough as Phoenix fought their way back into the series with a 2-1 deficit going into Game 4. But the Bulls held them off in Game 4 and would go up three games to one, seemingly looking to clinch the series in Game 5, still in Chicago, but it wasn't quite to be. Yeah, Game 5. The Suns came into Game 5 with nothing to lose at all and, and built a 16-point lead up in that first quarter. They were you know, on fire from the field, you know, had a great first quarter, uh, and then yeah, the Bulls reeled them back in a little bit, led by John Paxson mainly. Johnny Pax, one of the great shooters of all time, along with, as we said, Dan Marley for Phoenix, but... John Paxson was the key to, in, in 1991, the NBA Finals. Paxson lit it up. I think he scored eight of eight from the field in Game 5 to help the Bulls secure their first title. And, of course, we're going to get to his heroics in a moment to do with Game 6. So the Phoenix Suns won Game 5, held off the ceremonies back in Chicago. So it was three games to two in favour of the Bulls, which sets us up for Game 6 nicely, heading back into the Valley of the Sun, and the Bulls would be eventual winners of the NBA title, holding out 99-98, to 98, courtesy of John Paxson's amazing three-point shot in the final moments of the fourth quarter. Jordan scored all but three points in that fourth quarter for the Bulls, and obviously the three that counted the most were from Johnny Pax. Yeah, I definitely think that it was very fitting that a three-pointer uh, was the other ceiling basket for the game because I think for the whole series, the other three-point shot was huge uh, for both games. When you look at some of the uh, three-point shooting on the series, uh, for the Bulls, Jordan, Paxson, Armstrong and Tucker uh, combined to shoot 32 of 63 on threes for the series, which is incredible shooting. Mm-hmm. And the other two main guys who shot the three for the Suns, Marley and Danny Ainge, went 25 of, of 53. So it was a, a huge weapon during the season and I think very fitting that, uh, that Johnny Pax hit a three to seal the title. Definitely was, mate. Now, looking at the composite box score as far as the overall awards go for that championship series, Jordan led the pretty much from start to finish in terms of his statistical domination of that final series. He averaged 41 points, 8.5 boards, 6.3 assists a game in the NBA Finals. A great season capped off with a finals win for the Bulls. It was their third consecutive title, having won the previous two against the Lakers and the Trailblazers, but it was their second title in three years, which they'd won away from Chicago. All right, Steenie, that pretty much brings us to an end for the 1993 recap of the NBA season. How can people get in touch with you via Twitter if they wanted to join the conversation, mate? Any fans who want to be enlightened with my point of view on things, most of the content of what I put on Twitter is NBA, so open to a conversation with any other NBA or Bulls fans, particularly ones who followed the Bulls back in the 90s, but also a big fan of the other current Bulls team. And I can be reached on Twitter at Steeny, spelled S-T-E-H-N-Y. Very good. Thanks very much for listening, taking the time to reminisce about the 1993 NBA season. Thanks, Steenie, as well, for joining us today and talking about that wonderful time. And I look forward to chatting with you again about further topics of interest in the weeks and months ahead. Excellent. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. 
Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at InAllAnus. Please visit the show's social hub, facebook.com slash InAllAnus. Join me next time for another edition of the show.